the Free for All Roundtable. Brought to you by Lexus Avon, Canada's newest Lexus dealer, near Canada's Wonderland in the Maple Auto Mall. Luxury is closer than you think. Round one. Round one participants include Sabrina Nanji with Queen's Park Observer, Matt Gurney, journalist, co-founder of The Line and online magazine, also a good follow on uh, Twitter, I would add, because he's very funny. Uh, John Burnside, Toronto City Councillor, is here. And actually, John, you and I were talking off the air about whether or not this was a civic holiday for the city, and apparently it's not. Is everything, I mean, like, better park your car and pay the meter? Oh, I would for sure. Um, we have all our committees going today. I have one uh, a little bit later. But as I was mentioning, strangely, uh, FedEx and UPS have, have a holiday today. Really? Yeah. I want my stuff. Uh, yeah, well, I want my stuff with UPS. They're still looking for it. It's about three months late. Three months later. Uh, okay. Well, at the very least, it means it's going to be quiet at our house because the dog barks at every delivery person. He's a bit of a cliche. Okay, so let's start with the fact that Ontario's minimum wage went up this weekend on the first of October. Matt Gurney, it doesn't seem to be as incendiary an affair as it used to be because every time it's predicted that well, if we raise the minimum wage, the economy will collapse, people will be fired and replaced with robots, and everyone will move to California uh, doesn't seem to be happening. Do we have Matt Gurney? Is he there? He's on mute. He's on mute. Oh, so much shame. Three years of doing Zoom, and I still forget to tape my button up. <laughs> I'm trying uh, to think of what that is comparable to, actually, like, you know, the, as, as a faux pas these days. Oh, come on, man. Well, my microphone has a mute button, and I knew I had that on, so I was frantically toggling it on and off, going, why can't John hear me? Um, okay. No, so the actual point you were you were trying to make before I humiliated myself in front of a city, um, <laughs> we, we used to, like, at least we schedule these ones, right? Like, we bake these ones in, and I think that there is going to be less of a debate. But the problem is we've never done the smart thing, which is what I have always said we should be doing, and it would be saving us so much trouble if we did it now. We need to start indexing, like, all government spending and uh, revenues and expenditures to inflation. It's the st- stupidest debate we have every few years where someone either it's a it's a department or a ministry or it is a civil servant who's basically like our spending or our income has fallen behind because of inflation and then we have a stupid debate about it let's figure out what the number of everything should be and index it to inflation imagine how i mean governments would be hemorrhaging money right now if that had happened but their revenues are up too this is an easy debate to have sooner or later though we are going to have to have the debate again about what the minimum wage ought to be after the planned increases are done and john i think that's when we'll see the stupid all over again yeah all right uh sabrina nanji it's inarguable that the cost of living is rising so it seems a no-brainer to actually raise the minimum wage Yeah, and I think, you know, to your point that there's not so much noise about this from the usual corners is recognition of the fact that, you know, I mean, just look at the usage of food bank visits. I mean, that's been driven way up amid this, you know, sky high cost of living crisis. Um, And we know that, you know, like a proper living wage is actually way more uh, than, you know, 1655, which is what it now is in Ontario um, at at the minimum. But I think also market forces in certain areas like Toronto, especially 
especially, uh, you know, where cost of living is much higher, it, it, it kind of just naturally drives up the minimum wage. So I think a lot of folks are just paying more because uh, workers are getting harder and harder to find for these, you know, so-called minimum wage jobs. And so I think that a lot of businesses are just offering more in order to get these employees um because yeah as we know i mean 1655 is really not enough to to make ends meet these days john burnside i heard from somebody via text saying well i mean these are just jobs for kids anyway but they're not that's the problem no and i mean i think the whole policy still needs to be reviewed for a couple reasons one which sabrina touched on is that re- i think the minimum wage in ontario should be region specific so toronto is a lot more expensive than let's say shelburne ontario i mean target in the state their minimum wage ranges from $15 to $24 based on uh, the region. We also have the issue of um, the government changed the rules so that in days gone by, students actually ha- had one wage. I worked at Loblaws, and there was, a, there was sort of a part-time wage for students, and then there was a, a, a wage for full-time employees, people who have made a career of it. And that's gone by the wayside, too, and I think there, that, there is some room uh, for that discussion as well. But the, the, the biggest problem I see is coming down the road is that we really have, uh, we no longer have a way for most people to get into the middle class. Like, you can't go and work at Nabisco or at Goodyear and get a good union job because we don't really build anything. So now we have a very low wage uh, part of the economy and a high wage part of the economy, that sort of bifurcation of the workforce. The defense minister insists, in my case personally, <laughs> that the $1 billion that they want to reduce in the defense budget is not actually a budget cut. Um, I just, I mean, I blurted John Burns, said you were probably listening earlier this morning. I ran into Bill Blair on Friday and he said, oh yeah, well, we're, when we've been talking about the defense cuts. I said, bad timing. <laughs> I'm scolding the defense minister. But I do think it's, I mean, it's, it's terrible timing. And also, we're at 1.3% of GDP. We're supposed to be at two. Well, and that's the, that's the, there are two problems I have with it. One is we, we, uh, we go around the world stage and, and we pontificate to everyone else about what they should be doing. And then we don't even live up to the commitments that we've made. And you lose respect for it on that level. The other thing is we've seen in the last few years, whether it's been COVID, flooding, co- um, or uh, forest fires, how we've really called on the military. Yeah. And when you start hollowing them out even more, uh, you know, you, you can predict what the uh, result's going to be over the long term. Sabrina and Angie, I'm, I'm at a loss to get a pulse, I guess, uh, on what Canadians think about defense spending, because this could actually be a popular move in taking a billion dollars away from the military. Uh, I, I mean, I think that's possible. I mean, you know, one billion is a lot of money, but we know the defense budget is, is you know, much bigger than that. Um, but I think the most damage that could be done here is, you know, as has been said on the international stage and like read the room. I mean, after what happened in India, after what's going on with, you know, this Nazi invite at the House of Commons when Zelensky was there. I mean, this is like the last thing this country needs in terms of our international reputation. We've never met the NATO targets and we're constantly following falling short. So I think this is kind of just, you know, digging the hole deeper, uh, at least on the world stage at this point. And Matt, you write frequently about the military. So I'm curious about your thoughts. 
Oh, frequently and with absolutely zero effect. Like there has never been a public <laughs> policy file where I have had less uh, effect moving the needle. Look, when I in the 1980s, when I was a kid, I s- heard someone tell a joke about how Canada is the country that shows up at all the nice international dinners. But when the check comes around, we always happen to be in the bathroom. And I didn't understand what that joke <laughs> meant. So I asked my parents, like, so this has been an issue that has been plaguing us from when I was a kid to young to understand the joke until a man in his 40s. And the issue has never changed. I think fundamentally here, what we are being presented with, and it's funny, John, that you apparently got uh, scolded by the defense minister no, himself, or perhaps him. you were scolding him. Yeah. Uh, right now, we have two versions of events. We have a unpopular minister in a failing government tweeting one version of events we have the deputy minister and the four-star general chief of the defense staff testifying another version of events before parliament and their version of events is that whatever you want to call it the billion dollars is being removed from the budget is going to be hurting the military so minister blair can tweet whatever he wants i'm going with his deputy minister and his four-star general um, Sabrina and Angie, can I quickly ask you, I imagine owing to the files you write about that you might have been watching the liberal leadership debate, it's down to four candidates, and everybody was going after Bonnie Crombie over the fact that she accepts donations from developers. Your thoughts? Yes, I was watching the debate, so y'all didn't have to. Thank you. <laughs> and, you know, there are five of these, and they, they kind of become the same thing. I mean, they're all liberals. Um, but you're right. You know, the knives are getting sharper as we get closer to December 2nd when the uh, liberal leader will be crowned. Um, and, and you know, they're really coming for Bonnie Crombie, who is the front runner for a lot of reasons. She says she signed up the most members. She's definitely pulled in the most money. Um, but a lot of that money, a big chunk of it anyway, is coming from developers, uh, and they are you know, her opponents, Nader Smith, Yasser Nakvi, are essentially saying she's Doug Ford light. Like she is taking these donations. And is this a political liability for her when they're campaigning against a premier who, um, you know, is at least perceived by many as favoring developers and insiders? I think at the end of the day, you know, Bonnie Crombie uh, is still plowing ahead. The liberals do need someone that can raise money because campaigns cost money. The liberals are trying to mount this um, huge comeback. And And they see Bonnie, a lot of them see Bonnie as the one to be able to do it. Uh, But, you know, at the end of the day, these are the rules. And, you know, developers are going to donate to a lot of political parties. A lot of them donate to both the liberals and the conservatives. I think, you know, maybe introducing some policies on how to uh, or or promises on, you know, not not being at the at the whim of a developer, which, of course, Crombie says um, is the smart way to go here. But at the end of the day, I mean, she's following the rules. Uh, It's just not a great look. On the weekend, Donald Trump at a rally suggested that we could end this business of people marauding into retail outlets and walking out the door with all kinds of product. We could end that by shooting shoplifters. Um, You're the guy who gave me the book uh, San Francisco. Oh yeah, did you have you read it? I, I've been going through. I've been giving it the McLuhan read, uh, oh, okay. which is every every other page. <laughs> but I mean, and people look at that and say, "Look, he's gone nuts." I think that is going to be an extraordinarily popular proposal. You know, I'm not a uh, Donald Trump fan, but he does seem to be able to uh, grok a large part of the electorate, and that's my word of the day: grok. Oh, thank you. And um, and he he's you know most politicians will say this is this is. Um, 
it's unacceptable, we must do something, and then they go to the next news conference or their next event and nothing is done. Donald Trump, people look at that and say, something must be done, he's at least saying he will do something. And I think that taps into um, how people are feeling. I mean, you see in the States, Target's closing down nine stores in certain part, certain neighborhoods because they just can't uh, handle the, uh, the loss of merchandise. Well, and Matt Gurney, I have to say, I mean, I don't support the idea of shooting people at random, but in I was watching the footage in Philadelphia of people raiding uh, an electronics store, and I thought, somebody's got to stop them. Yep. Yeah. There's a very interesting moment I think we're living through right now. Um, we're seeing it more acutely in the United States. I think we often do, um, but I do think there's a version of it in Canada right now. And I don't know if you guys read in the New York Times this weekend this story out of uh, Portland, Oregon, of a security guard's uh, just a reporter following him around for one shift, and it was insane. I think I became... I, I don't know. My politics changed as I read this piece. It was insane, and I encourage you all to read it. But more to the point, I think there's this sense we have sometimes among our, our centrist, moderate politicians that their policy failures don't matter because they mean well, or when they fail to correct a problem or never even attempt to, that it's okay, that there aren't consequences for this. For a considerable part of the electorate, those policy failures or those decisions to never try are radicalizing. And I think all of us, from the politicians on down, ought to be considering whether or not we want to be radicalizing our population. I vote no. I want to know what they would vote. Sabrina and Angie, should we be shooting looters? They would stop. <laughs> I mean, come on. This is overkill. I mean, let's not forget it was Donald Literally. Trump. <laughs> um, yeah, exactly. I mean, I agree something needs to be done, uh, but come on. I mean, this this is like way too far. I mean, who isn't getting shot in the U.S. these days? It was uh, I think it was just in, it's just inciting. And, and no, this is not this is not the answer. OK, and help me out here, John Burnside. You introduced the word grok. Uh, I Googled it and I got a Swiss clown. Um, <laughs> maybe I Googled it wrong, um, <laughs> but uh, it's to understand something profoundly and intuitively. And I I think Donald Trump is really able to grok a large part of the electorate, uh, for better or for worse. Uh, he really does know what to, to say to a large number of people. All right, let's popularize that. I think it's a great word. Thank you all very much. Good to have you. Sabrina and Angie, Matt Gurney, and John Burnside. Catch the Roundtable, round one at 745, round two at 845. Weekday mornings on More in the Morning. News Talk 1010 Toronto.